Hey, what's up? This is Logan from Article Sound System, and you're listening to the Bradley's House Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bradley's House, the podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. She is the executive director of the Knoll Family Foundation and our host, Ms. Kelly Knoll. Kelly, what's your favorite food? <laughs> I think I liked it better when you asked me how I was doing and I just told you fabulous. All right, here. You know what? Let's go with favorite <laughs> color today. What's your favorite color? I don't, I told you, I don't have favorites. I wear black all the time. Can I say black is my favorite color? Your host, Kelly Knoll. <laughs> Kelly, what's your favorite all-time sports car? Oh, okay. Now I have too many to name, but I will say most likely, oh gosh. Okay. It's a toss up. It's a toss up between the Nissan GTR, the Audi R8, and the Maserati convertible, just because I love it. Now, for those of you listening, one thing that I don't know if we've ever spoke about on this show is that Kelly loves cars. Kelly is like, cars. Kelly's like a car. Now, I spent 14 years in the car business, and I hate cars. I don't get excited <laughs> about them at all. And Kelly's the one to point out really awesome cars on yes. the road and uh and kelly has a need for speed so um <laughs> that's just something that you know just a little inside hey inside with your host today that is your that is your little tip for kelly knoll for the day i feel like we should be telling more tips about you that's not really fair um oh, Jared, i'm a super you... i'm a super boring driver and <laughs> usually people that i drive with scream at me and go what are you doing and i'm like hey man i'm not in a rush it's cool what's your favorite color Jarrett? red how did you have an answer just so quick there's no question you could ask me that i can't answer immediately well that's true and that's it, yeah it must have been a lot of fun for your parents growing up yeah. When I was like, when I would interview people at the car dealership, you would, people would come in and we would have a normal interview and I'd be like, what's your third favorite zoo animal? <laughs> and they would just look at me and they'd say third favorite. I'm like, yeah, everybody's, everybody knows their favorite right away. I got it. But like, what's your third favorite? All about the rankings. Yeah. Huh? yeah well, you got to get people thinking and people are like, well, I don't know. What's, what's your third favorite? <laughs> At the to zoo. buy some time, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like the fucking impalas next. What's yours? Oh my gosh! Yeah, let's let's get to it here. So, Kelly, every single week on Bradley's house, uh, we have a different guest who comes on and talks about so many different things, and uh, we get all of these messages and people really have been enjoying um, the different guests that we've been having on. We've really been mixing it up with a little bit of music and a, a little bit of recovery. And sometimes we have people that are just our friends on and uh, it's really been in uh, an awesome run. And so I want to thank everybody, first of all, who's been tuning in uh, and who's been sharing the show. It really means a lot to us. 
a lot of great feedback from our last show. I got a ton of messages. People were like, that Fayuka song was fire. I was like, you're fucking right it is. It's available at <laughs> FayukaMusic.com. Um, so, but once again, uh, this week, I think we're going to have a... Well, Jarrett, I'm so excited about our guest today because we have with us a friend of mine, Sage, who has a lot in common with me and that she and I both grew up with siblings that struggle with addiction. So I thought it would be cool and helpful for a lot of people if Sage and I just talked a little bit about those experiences so that other people maybe who are struggling with the same thing or have loved ones that that struggle as well can know that, you know, what they're going through is normal, that they're not somewhat so alone, and maybe they can pick up some tips on uh, on how to survive this, not just for them, but to help their family member or loved one as well. So Sage, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you now. Um, you and I both have a similar experience in that we have a sibling who struggles with addiction. And mm-hmm. yours was a younger sibling, right? Yeah, that's right. My sister, four years younger than me. Okay. And then, and how were you both living in the house when she began to start her struggle? Yes, we were. How old were you? Do you remember? Oh, I don't know. I think my sister did a pretty good job of hiding it for a lot of years. Mm. You know, when it kind of came to light, made it all the more kind of difficult to even wrap my brain around. Right, right. How how were you first made aware of what was going on? Well, I think I think I kind of maybe turned a blind eye to it for a few years, and it really started to hit me after my sister went to university. And moved out of like our family home right after she was done high school. Mm. Now, when you say you turned a blind eye, was that in, in retrospect, is that something that you can, you feel like you did? Or was it just because you weren't aware of it? So you think maybe you were in denial? Well, I think I had kind of an, an inkling of what was going on, but I didn't really want to believe it was true. So I just kind mm. of it in the sand and pretended like it wasn't happening. Ah, so then when you did finally start to deal with it or start to be able to recognize it, mm-hmm. um, how did that work? Like, did you talk with your sister about it or was it something that you as a family discussed? Well, for a while, I feel like I, my sister and I, we, we both knew that I knew, but we didn't really talk about it, which, mm. you know, thinking back on it, like I wish that I had been more open and honest about what I was experiencing with her because I think it would have really helped her a lot and it would have made her feel like she had someone in her corner instead of me just kind of knowing and like quietly trying to be there without actually making my intentions super duper clear right is there have you ever had a time when you struggled with any kind of substance use not really like I mean I went through a wild phase where Uh if if you could put it in your nose or put it in your stomach, like I was, it was inside me, but I never mm-hmm. really feel like I, like I had any sort of like dependency on it. Do you think that made it harder for you to understand what she was going through? Yes, absolutely. Cause I mean, like I, I went to school for addictions counseling, but because I had never experienced an addiction, like I come from it from a completely different angle. Cause I know, I know all the, all the, the school stuff. And I mean, like what we're talking about today, like my experience with my sister, but because I have never truly, I guess I 
I I smoke, so I guess that's an addiction. But like a little baby addiction. But a baby yeah, addiction. <laughs> just an itty bitty addiction. Just a little baby one. But uh, so, what made you want to go to school for addiction counseling? Well, partly because of what my sister was going through, I kind of hoped to be able to understand a little bit more about what she was going through, mm-hmm. and also because I I did like my my calling in life is to help others and. I felt like that would be a, a good avenue for me to be of use in. Mm, that must have helped for it did. you to understand her a little better, right? Mm-hmm, I feel like it did. Uh, actually, while I was going to school in Vancouver for addictions, my sister came and <laughs> stayed with me for a little bit. How was that? It was It was good. It was hard because, I mean, my sister had always been like very like voluptuous and like you know, like tall and curvy. And when she came and stayed with me, she had like skeleton hands and was mm. very, very thin and, you know, just didn't look well. Yeah. Did you tell her that? I mean, did you guys talk about how she looked and how it was impacting her her health? I, th- I think I brought it up. But again, like I didn't accuse like I didn't want to be like, I know that you're on this, you know, right. I know that you're doing drugs and I I wasn't ready for that kind of confrontation, but I, I feel like she knew that I knew. And, you know, it was, it was like, it, it was good because I was able to help her because she was coming out of like a, a bad relationship situation, which was good. Mm, yeah. But at the same, you know, but at the same time it was, it was hard because she was not, not well when she was yeah. with me. In the U.S., there's an organization called Alamon that's a great resource for people, like friends and family members of people that struggle with addiction. So, of course, there's, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and lots of different different 12-step programs, but Alanon is for the people impacted by people with addiction. And they also go through the 12 steps, but in regards to, you know, doing what's what's best for you when you're dealing with a loved one who's struggling with addiction. Because as you know, it's so easy to get caught up, kind of, you know, swept up in the in the drama, in the ups and downs, and you know, it's a life or death situation. And mm-hmm. it really takes its toll on on friends and family. I mean it it impacts sure everyone. Yeah, it sure does. It was it was hard on on my relationship with uh with my parents because I would cover a lot for my sister and I would tell a lot of lies to my parents to Mm. what I think what I thought at the time was protecting her but you know in hindsight I was only enabling her yeah it's so hard to know there's a Mm -hmm. fine line between helping and enabling how how do you know if what you're doing is enabling or actually helpful well I think that enabling would be behaving in a way that would, you know, encourage the person to continue their harmful behavior, which is what I did for many, many, many years. Mm. And actually helping would be a behavior that, you know, lets the person know that you still love them and you still support them, but you don't support the behavior. Right. That's a really good point. Did you guys ever talk as a family, like without your sister, the rest of the family to discuss what was going on? Yes. Um, at the beginning, a lot of the times I would be like, oh no, she's, she's fine. She's just going through a thing. Like it's, it's not bad from what I know. And like, lie, 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 lie through my teeth. Because I, Mm. again, I thought that I was protecting her, 
from our parents. But I guess more like I guess, with, with with my with my husband, like I was able to, you know, talk a little bit more honestly, and to gain a little bit of more perspective. Like if if my like I have a son and he's he just turned eight yesterday. Yay, um, if, happy you know, birthday to your son! Thank you. <laughs> like if 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 he was you know, a young, a young person, like not obviously not eight, but if he was uh, dealing with like a substance misuse disorder, then I, as a parent, would want the most honest information. I wouldn't want it sugarcoated. And I, and I kind of, my, my sister and my relationship with my, my mom is a little bit strained, but I feel like if I had been more honest with our parents then my sister probably would not have you know gone quite as as deep and dark into into her addiction as she did why is that because they would have known sooner I think they would have known sooner and Mm. you know like I said the relationship may be strained but they do really care and I I feel like they probably would have helped Yeah, it's tough, especially, you know, when there's always so much history behind it. I think also, too, one thing I was thinking about when you were saying that, you know, if you had just been more open with your parents, but initially, before you realize that you're dealing with, you know, a disease, I think we sort of fall back on those, you know, patterns of protecting our siblings and, you know, from, Mm -hmm. you know, not not ratting them out to our parents and that kind of thing. I mean, that's that's a, a fine line you've got to walk as well. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. It's not always, not always easy because I know at least in my situation, I didn't know anything about addiction. I didn't understand it. I didn't know it was a disease. I didn't, I, I didn't have any concept. And so when I found out that my brother was struggling, I was a teenager and I just didn't understand why he chose to do that. Like I, I kept thinking it was a choice. I kept thinking it was something he chose to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for some reason, when you feel, when you think of it as a choice, it makes it seem more, more controllable, you know, more like, um, you You can just choose to stop. Yeah. It's like, if if your sibling is out past curfew, you're not going to tell your parents because you don't want them to get in trouble, you know, the same kind of thing. Like, okay, they've been, you know, drinking or using or whatever you don't know that this is a disease they're suffering from. So you're just like trying to protect them from getting in trouble, you know? Yes, but then, <laughs> yeah. But once you realize that, that there really is more involved, was that something that, that you were able to recognize pretty quickly um, that it was an addiction issue and, and what that entailed? Well, again, like, I think I, I didn't think about it for a while because I didn't want in those terms. Yeah, I didn't want to think of it in those terms. I just kind of wanted to separate myself from a lot of the the drama and, you know, the sleepless nights and the stress that, mm. that my sister had caused me, to be honest, for a few years. Yeah. And I just, after a while, I just kind of wanted just to not, just pretend I didn't know what was happening. Right. Which I know sounds, it sounds so shitty. I know it sounds so <laughs> shitty. You know what? Say, it doesn't, I, I, I can swear on here, right? Oh yeah, you can. Um, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound shitty to people who've been through it, and that's the thing because it is so 
mentally and emotionally exhausting that I think it's understandable that you just needed to not, you know, be enmeshed in the drama for a bit. That, that absolutely makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, now, now, like I actually, I, I work in mental health and stuff and, and addiction is literally just another reaction to great, great stress. Like everyone handles their handles stress differently. And addiction is one of like the super big ones. Right. 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 If I had been, you know, more upfront with my sister about like, I, I see you, I know that you're struggling. Like, how can I best support without also enabling? I think it would have been a, a different kind of story. Yeah, possibly. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it is tough because there's always going to be things that you wish you'd done differently. But, you know, of course, as I'm sure you know from all of your schooling, you are not the one that, that caused it. You can't control it. And right. so, yeah. you know, I mean, there's, there's only so much that you can do. But I do think that having an awareness of what your sibling is going through makes a huge difference. Yes, I agree. Did you ever have, I, and I ask this because I personally remember my brother would steal things to buy, buy things to buy his, you know, whatever his drug of choice was at the time. Um, did you ever have any problems like that with your sister? Well, sometimes she would, I know, I know she took money from my mom. She would steal mm-hmm. my booze. If I had some stashed away, it would be gone. Yeah. I'm it's not hard. sure that she ever stole from me. Me personally. I know it's hard mm-hmm. for people to separate the the behavior of the addict from the behavior of the person. Yeah. You know, so like things that, that you know your sister would never do, now all of a sudden, you know, maybe she's more willing to do them to to satisfy the addiction. And so I, I, that was a really difficult thing for me to process is, you know, why would he do that? It's just like, mm-hmm. I don't know the, but then of course, you know, years later when I understood more about it, then it made sense. You know, when you feel like it's, you need this substance to survive, you'll mm-hmm. do anything you have to do. Um, I have listened to a few podcasts on, well, more than a few podcasts, I should say on this subject, but there were a couple things that, um, I thought were so huge and I wrote down and, and I don't think I've ever shared these. These are just from my personal notes, but I think it would be a good time now. Um, one of the quotes was most people get addicted to opioids. Oh, most people addicted to opioids don't use them to get high. They need them just to feel normal. If they mm-hmm. stop taking the drugs, even for a short period, they feel horribly sick and that sickness worsens until it's unbearable. You've heard it called withdrawal, but most addicts have a more descriptive word for this dreadful state, dope sick. And then another line I thought was great. By the time you become addicted to it, it's no longer a choice. Now you're in survival mode. And I think those those concepts right there are so difficult for someone that does not struggle with addiction to really grasp and comprehend. Right. In your work in um, addiction counseling, are there any, I don't know, like coping mechanisms or I don't know, uh, things that you share with people that make it easier for their loved ones to understand what they're going through? Well, I think like understanding that it is just a real extreme response to stress. Like it's not that they're a bad person. It's not that they're broken and and, irredeemable. 
It's just that they're having a really extreme reaction to stress. Like some people eat when they're stressed. Some people sleep when they're stressed. Some people don't eat when they're stressed. Some people do drugs when they're stressed. And it's just that extreme heightened state in your body. Absolutely. Which brings us to the role of trauma in addiction. And, um, you know, without getting too personal about what your sister went through, I would imagine that both from your your schooling and from your personal experience of what, you know, you witnessed and lived through, those two kind of go hand in hand, trauma and addiction. Oh, yeah, you got to be trauma informed 100%. Trauma is so huge when it comes to addiction. It just exacerbates all, 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 the, all the bad shit, basically. Right. So how important would you say it is to deal with that trauma in the process of dealing with your addiction? Like, is it possible to just deal with addiction and not address trauma? No, I don't think so. I think, I think you gotta, I think, you know, dealing with that trauma, even before you start dealing with the, like the physical part of the addiction, because once you kind of are able to work through your, your bad shit, then Mm -hmm. you're able to start to bring your body back, back to normal. Mm, that's a good way to put it. I have one other quote I wanted to share because while I'm looking at my little list here, trauma and addiction are ghosts. They never really go away. Ideally, they become very small and sort of friendly and very rarely tap on your shoulder. I thought that was just kind of a funny, cute, uh, but also really good analogy because I don't think those things ever truly go away. We just learn mm-hmm. how to manage them, right? We just learn mm-hmm. how to how to live with them and still live a happy, healthy life. Um, with those things sort of in the background, maybe, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but I think, I think it's good. Cause then, then as like, I mean, in, in therapy, as you, as you learn tools to put in your toolbox, right. They do become those little, just little teeny weeny, just like little ghosts that are just like, Hey, mm-hmm. and then you, and then you can be like, you know what? i I have all these tools. I have all this experience. Like I, I know exactly how to deal with you like hi, but also by. Right. That's so important. And I mean, dealing with trauma is important for everyone. I don't, I don't think there's any of us that can make it through life without some sort of trauma, but it it definitely becomes much more acute for someone struggling with addiction. Yes. And especially, you know, like the trauma that being addicted also brings, like you can be, have trauma before the addiction that helps exacerbate it. But then during your addiction, like, like how you talked about how, you know, the addict's behavior and the person's behavior, like mm. the ad, the you know the the addict in the person will do things that the person would never dream of doing. And that just creates more trauma. Mm-hmm. Just exacerbates it and makes it bigger and bigger and more and more scary. Yeah. So, how did you deal with it as your sister was was getting help and um, was growing, but was still struggling? I mean, what were some of the were there were there any things that you remember that you did that helped either you to cope with it or to understand her better or or that helped your relationship with her? Well, I think making myself available but mm. offering like a place to stay rather than I'll send you five hundred dollars kind of thing right. like kind of sh- shifting the manner of, of support that I was able to offer because it was, it was tough on me. It was tough on my relationship with my now husband. So, you know, you, you still want to support your sister. Like, I mean, I love my sister to death. I would 
you know, kill a man for her. I, I absolutely adore her, but I won't give her money. Yeah. It's, I think it's good to learn those things. Um, because there's a chance, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a healthy way to say this, but like we said, addiction never really goes away. So understanding that it's not just something that the person that, that struggles with substance use disorder is going to have to deal with the rest of their life, but it's also something that their loved ones will, will deal with the rest of their lives too. And, and in, de- in varying degrees, right? Like right. there's the active addiction and then there's, you know, recovery and all that, but um, having that, that understanding that it is a lifelong thing, I think makes it a little bit um, easier for yes. people to cope mm-hmm. if things keep coming up, you know? Well, and you're able to like adjust kind of your levels of, levels of support and also what's what's safe and healthy for you and also like adjust your expectations. Like, you know, like I know that, you know, my sister can never go back to, you know, being a sweet, tiny eight-year-old angel child who, you know, <laughs> never had anything bad happen to her in her life. Yeah. Like we all, we all have shit and she just has a different kind of shit than I do. Yeah, that's true. We all, you've got to have that empathy and that, and that grace for the other person, I think. Absolutely. And that's a big part too, because we all struggle with different things. Mm -hmm. And I definitely don't want this to be, um, to sound like we're, we're, you know, coming down on anybody who struggles, but because that is one of the main topics of our podcast, of course, you know, we, we focus on that. But mm-hmm. I think that's a huge point that you made, having some grace and realizing that just because their issue happens to be much more visible than mine is or whatever, you know, we, we still have to understand that we all have things that we deal with and, mm-hmm. and we would want people to, to handle our issues with grace right. as well. And I mean, like the fact that I enabled my sister has nothing, like it's not her fault. True. It's, that's, you know, like that, that's on me. Like I need to develop my own boundaries and my own coping tools, just like, just like she does. Very true. Very In true. And it's keep our relationship healthy. Right. And it is a good opportunity for people to do some inward reflection and, and growth, um, you know, in those situations as well. Mm-hmm. What about relapses? Did she have any relapses? Well, I think most, most of her active addiction was when we were not in the same city. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure that she did. And she kind of did a little bit recently with drinking. Mm -hmm. I remember um, every time my brother would go into treatment um, and he never stayed through a whole program, but there was always this sense of, okay, maybe the fact that he hated it so much there and left, you know, will be enough to make him change. Or um, I had another family member that struggled and Um, the first time he relapsed, I got so upset and angry, like, how could you do this? And it was when I went to an Al-Anon meeting that I realized that there's nothing that I could say that's going to make them feel any worse than what they're telling themselves. And so it it really, that was a big lesson for me because I thought, you know, gosh, if, if they only knew how, how frustrated and disappointed everybody is, you know, with them and, not just not at them, but with them and for them. And, um, but understanding that that's, that's not helpful. That's not what, what your loved one needs to hear right then. They just need to hear that it's okay and keep going and let's try again and, you know, get back, back at it. And, and in my experience, that made a huge difference when I approached it 
with that sort of response. And uh, my family member that was struggling was stunned to hear me say that, that, you know, all of a sudden I'm not, you know, ranting and raving, but I'm like, Hey, it's okay. We can, you know, we can just pick ourselves up and keep going. And, um, and that made a huge difference. And for me, that was really, I don't know why it was just such a, a mental shift that I think really made a huge difference. And, and I think there's never a bad time to remind somebody that you love them and you care about them and, and that they're not a piece of shit. And, you know, right. I mean, we, we, so many of us struggle with that, whether we're in addiction or not, just, you know, feeling like we're shitty people. And so obviously someone struggling with addiction, the last thing you want to do is make them feel worse about themselves. Yeah. And well, just because, you know, you stumbled doesn't mean you've unlearned everything that you've already learned. Like when you're playing like Mm. Super Nintendo as a kid, like you, you had to keep going. And if you, you know, if you failed the level, you went all the way to the back to the beginning, but every time you do it again, it becomes easier and easier and you're able to get farther and farther. So, you know, addiction is, is a cycle. It's not, it's not just like you're going straight through a whole dungeon. You, sometimes you, you know, get, get, get got by the spikes, but then you remember to jump a little bit sooner and you get a little bit further. That's a great analogy. You know, yeah. Like you don't, you don't unlearn everything just because you fall off the path. Mm -hmm. Do you write at all? Do you write much? I do. Yes. If you ever wanted to write a blog about that, we would love to put that on our website. I think that is a great analogy that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, well, it, yeah, I I really like it too. That's why I brought it up. One of my one of my girlfriends who is struggling with an eating disorder, you know, brought it up to me as well, mm-hmm. which is a, just a different kind of addiction. Exactly. Very true. Well, thank you so much, Sage. I really appreciate it. I know the struggles that you've been through with your sister are very personal for you and for her, and um, I think it, it takes a lot of of uh, courage and vulnerability to share that. And so I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, just because someone, you know, is struggling with an addiction doesn't make them any less your sister. I love my sister. She's amazing. You're both lucky to have each other. We are 100%. Thank you so much, Sage. I appreciate you coming on. Have a great day. Uh, You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, Kelly, as I alluded to in the intro, I think that this is an episode that uh, a lot of people are um, gonna, I don't want to say enjoy hearing uh, because, you know, obviously uh, there was some things that were spoke about. You guys didn't hear me. I thought it would be best if I stepped back, obviously, um, not having the experiences. So I think it was great that, uh, that you guys were able to, to speak and, and share those experiences. And, uh, like I said, an episode that I think, uh, a lot of people need to hear. So, uh, thank you to Sage. And of course, Kelly, thank you for once again, doing something that you just normally don't do. And that's just put it all out there. But, uh, I think it's amazing that you do it for our listeners. So uh, thank you. Absolutely. And it was such a pleasure to have Sage on. She has a great um, perspective in that not only has she lived through it, but she's also studied it and and works in that industry. So um, it was really great to have her on and we sure appreciate her honesty.
Yeah, again, I, I just love the mix of people and stories and things that we can share on Bradley's house. Um, I, I just think it's uh, it, it's really neat. So let's bring it up a little bit, Kelly, because we got a lot of cool stuff coming up. We do. Music scene and with the Knoll Family Foundation. And I know that I'm super excited. Viva Las Vegas. But I... <laughs> Maybe a little bit more than you are, um, but we've got Reggae Rise Up coming up. So first three days, uh, amazing, amazing musicians, just one mm. after another, after another. Uh, it's Las Vegas. The lights are shining. The machines are ringing. Um, so there's going to be uh, quite the atmosphere there. And of course, the Noel Family Foundation will be there. We'll be set up t-shirts and coffee and hats and all of the good stuff uh i'm super excited about it and i know for some reason you you and you and and anna seem maybe less excited than me (laughs) why is that jared i don't well i don't know because maybe it turns out sometimes we go to these things and you guys spend a lot more time working while i'm you know Ah. I'm i'm working you know? Yeah, yeah work well, it. you work it. You do a lot of the networking for the foundation, which I appreciate because if it was up to me, it wouldn't happen. So I'm super happy staying behind the booth. But yeah, it is a very different experience for me and Anna than it is for you. Although we so, do but here's the thing. Special, Somehow yeah. at the end of three days, I'm the only one that doesn't have a voice. Yeah. And I'm the one that can't function at all. And I just curl up in the fetal position in the corner of the room and rock for an hour. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, <laughs> I think. And maybe it's you... a blessing for all of us that you don't have a voice after a few days. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Look, now she's a comedian, everybody. <laughs> uh-huh. Look at this. Try the veal. But uh, I do so... want to let everybody know we're going to have some special items at the booth at Reggae Rise Up. We have some limited edition hand tie-dyed Bradley's House shirts that I'm super excited to bring with us to Vegas to sell at the booth. Tie-dye Bradley's House shirts. It doesn't get any better than that. No, it really doesn't. And actually, it was we should have videoed the whole process, but my daughter-in-law and Anna, our producer, so my daughter-in-law, Finn, and Anna, our producer, did this on my patio it was quite a production and it took like two days and they came out phenomenal not all of them there are a couple of duds i'm not gonna lie but (laughs) they're mostly (laughs) spectacular and uh, so we're going to be bringing those with us and um i don't know how many we have but it's not very many i want to say like 20 or 25 at the most right yeah, yeah, I think there was like 23 of them. Um mm-hmm. and some of them really came out amazing. Uh and I, I think the rest are like there's like levels of like amazingly cool, like kind of cool, like really cool. Uh but I think even like the worst ones are still like okay, you know. I agree. And and it goes and it goes all to a good cause. So Absolutely. Uh, they uh yeah, I'm super excited about that. And of course, uh Thursday night before you guys are ready for Reggae Rise Up to kick off, 
we're going to have a special event. It's just one mile from where Reggae Rise Up's happening. It's right in downtown. If you've ever yes. been in Vegas, so many of the bands go through uh, and play there. So uh, we're going to be at Triple B and Backstage uh, Bar and Billiards. You always want to put the emphasis on that. I know. For, that's right. I figured you probably just Vegas. didn't remember what it was called. Yeah, I always forget to. But yeah, I'm uh, trying to save you there. It's an amazing event, um, and we've got some uh, some great bands already lined up to be there. Uh, Joel Castillo, the uh, the lead singer of Seventy Seven Jefferson, uh, he reached out to us and said, "Hey, is I would like to to play on a show." And we were like, "So are nice you, of him." Are you fucking kidding me? Of course, <laughs> anytime you want. Yes, please. Um, yeah, so uh, so he's going to be out there. Uh, we're going to have Fayuka out there playing some of their new songs. They've uh, we've got a new album for Fayuka that's coming out, and uh, Gabo and the boys have specifically been working on uh, some of their brand new songs to play in Las Vegas for everybody at the event. Uh, super excited about that. And of course, we know that Jacob Knoll is going to be out there. And mm-hmm. I've had the opportunity to see Jake twice in the last m- three times in the last month. And guys, if you get an opportunity, first of all, Jacob Knoll is coming out somewhere to you. If you're not going to be in Las Vegas, wherever you're listening to this right now, I want you to hop on the Google machine. Type in Jacob Knoll and find out where his tour is coming. He's touring with a band sitting on Stacy, and it's kind of like his first big nationwide tour. So you could check him out somewhere, or we're going to have him in Las Vegas. Now, Kelly, Jacob Knoll is going to be playing. <laughs> Jacob Knoll is going to be playing Sublime songs for the first time ever outside of Long Beach. That's true. Well, as far as as a whole set, yes. I know he's played songs here and there before, but yes, he'll be playing a bunch of Sublime music, and uh, we're super stoked to have him, and we're going to have some of the artists from the house that Bradley built there. It's going to be a fun time. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it's going to be an amazing time, and uh, like Kelly said, on top of uh, Jacob being out there, uh, we're going to have some special guests, some people that were on the album, uh, some people that uh, maybe are already in town for some odd reason, and they're just looking to come hang out and jam a Sublime song or two uh, for the foundation. So I'm telling you guys, you never know what you're going to get at a Noel Family Foundation benefit show, and here's the reason why. Because we never know what we're going to get. <laughs> and then these, these people just show up and then they're there and then they're on stage. And I'm like, hey, he wasn't booked, but this is awesome. And Love that. Um, yeah, yeah. The last one at Sea Legs, there was all sorts of people out in the, out in the stands and there was people up on the stage and it was, uh, it was pretty cool. So Las Vegas, October 6th. Triple B information is coming in. You're going to hear this on once. It it might already be available, um, but follow the Knoll Family Foundation anywhere on social media, and we'll make sure to get the information posted. But come on out, you guys have nothing else to do. Don't look. You're going to lose the slap machines. You're not going to win. I promise you. <laughs> so you might as well come on out and have some fun, right? For a right. good cause. Have- Absolutely. So uh, again, make sure you're following the Knoll Family Foundation on socials and uh, you'll get some more information on that. Um, I think we had, uh, 
I think we covered it for right now. The coffee, coffee's still happening. People are loving this coffee, by the way. I've been getting a lot of messages and a lot of tags and people are like, this is really good coffee. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And they're like, no, I'm not just saying that because it's Bradley's house coffee. I mean, it's really good coffee. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, I told you that before you ordered it. So <laughs> now like, I, I think people are really, uh, people are really getting into the coffee. So you guys can check that out as well. And of course, that's available on our website, thenoelfamilyfoundation.org. And the coffee was made by our good friend, Kevin Shin, down at North County Roastery and the Switchboard Restaurant. So definitely check them out if you're ever in Oceanside. Yeah, for sure. And uh, shout out to our friend, uh, Craig McKnight. If you haven't checked out these Muffin But Good Vibes videos that he's doing, Oh my gosh. It's, uh, it's amazing. And, uh, he's got the YouTube page up. I got, I was lucky enough to be there for one. He's got this amazing drone artist who, uh, on the first take, the drone came in at what looked like about 240 miles an hour. (laughs) He had it hovering all the way out over the highway. And then they started playing and this thing came flying in and you could see everybody in the band get a little nervous, but this guy knew what he was doing. He's got some amazing shots. Um, there's been five recorded four are already out this guy's doing like sugar wow. type stuff um so make sure acoustic you, sessions huh yeah make sure you are following him yeah the acoustic sessions he's had some great some great people on already so um the uh, the oc swells was amazing uh and of course i i got to see fayuka's happen firsthand it's not out yet but uh, you know, everything that Gabo does is amazing, but make sure you guys are following Craig McKnight. Um, I actually missed him out in San Diego at the, during the craziness of the slightly stupid show, but I know that he was out there that security was tight at the, at Petco park. I, I had the uh, security was tight at Petco park. Um, so it was uh, it was a crazy day. I know he was trying to get muffins in. I was trying to see if I could get the muffins in. People were looking at me like I was crazy. But um, make sure you're <laughs> make sure you're following my buddy Craig at uh, at Muffin But Good Vibes. And uh, I think that kind of covers it for today. I think right? that's it. Yeah. Yeah, badass episode. We got this awesome show coming up in Vegas. Filed an old family foundation. Of course, you guys click the link tree in the description of this show and you can find out uh, how to get involved, how you can help the old family foundation. Uh, there's a tons of ways that you guys can help and uh, every dollar counts and it certainly goes a long way. So uh, Kelly, I think uh, we were discussing Today, we, we, everybody gets to, you know, you leave with a song. You have to leave with a song on Bradley's house. And mm-hmm. uh, I think one of my all-time favorite songs, this is STP by Sublime. Guys, thank you so much for joining in. Until next time, I'm Jared Orr. She's Kelly Knoll. You guys don't have to go home, but it's time to leave Bradley's house.
I won't sleep.